So after my parents divorced when I was a kid, I suddenly found myself spending the weekends with my dad. This was awkward because like many dads of the 70s and 80s, he mostly worked and then came home late. And honestly, pre-divorce, I rarely saw my dad. But then suddenly, my five-year-old self was spending a lot of focus time with my dad on the weekends. Something, it was just new, right? The custody agreement was that my mom had me Monday through Friday and he had me Saturday and Sunday. And that sort of chapter kicked off what was never like a super easy time for he and I, right? (laughs) Neither of us was sure what to say to each other. We would go to the movies a lot. We would play Name That Tune on the radio as we made the seemingly endless trek between my mom's house in Laguna and his place in Long Beach. And this kind of explains why I have such an encyclopedic knowledge of easy listening songs of the 70s and 80s. But every Saturday morning, Throughout my entire childhood, my dad would pick me up and part of me dreaded leaving the comfort of my mom and all that was home to me. But part of me wanted desperately for this man to like me. Saturdays were not my favorite as a kid, in other words. And because my dad was so unpracticed at parenting, caring and feeding of a small child, he just wasn't really in step with how kids roll. Like kids need snacks, right? They need toys. They have all kinds of needs. But before you judge him too harshly, remember, this was the mid-70s, before dads became the kind of devoted guys we know and love today. But his house wasn't cozy and it wasn't fun and there was never a single toy anywhere. So I had to bring my own stuff and he would grumble if it looked like I was bringing too much. And the reason I'm telling you this is that this situation set up a really tricky dynamic for five-year-old Bronwyn. Five-year-old Bronwyn somehow needed to survive 48 hours without her mom, without her toys, without comforts like that. And she had to somehow keep herself entertained so as not to bother this big-voiced guy. And she somehow had to get herself fed when she needed snacks outside of the breakfast, lunch, and dinner construct. I remember carefully planning activities I could bring with me. But the food thing, that was a real problem. I just didn't have the courage to ask him what I needed. I felt bad that I was this little nosher who wanted to nosh on various things between meals, most of which he didn't have in the pantry. So I developed what I thought was this really ingenious strategy for getting myself fed, for getting my food needs met. And when I was hungry, I would say, are you hungry, dad? And if he wasn't distracted by something, generally this would be the cue for my dad to figure out some kind of food situation for me. But one time, I will never forget this, my dad and I were at his friend's house and the adults were all playing cards and day drinking. And as usual, because my dad was so much older than than most kids my age, you know, we would go to his friend's house. There was nobody to play with. So I was just wandering around. And so on this one day, I was hungry and I was roaming the empty house. Uh, you know, these, their kids had long gone and it was just me in this empty house. And I was roaming around looking for something to do. And finally I couldn't stand it anymore. And I was hungry and I was bored. And when the wife of my dad's friend went to go mix another cocktail in the kitchen, I asked her, Rena, are you hungry? And I'll never forget the look on her face. 
I can still see it to this day. Her hair was aquanetted into a perfect brown helmet and her thick rope gold necklace clung to her tan skin. And she crouched down low and held my little hands and she said, oh honey, who cares if I'm hungry? Are you hungry? And I just remember relief flooding my body. Yes, I was hungry. (laughs) And I'm telling you this small, sad story of my childhood because it perfectly illustrates the origin story of perhaps the worst communication habit that I have and that I'm still working to undo. And that pattern is this. It's hard for me to ask for what I want and what I need I wanted to devote an entire episode to this issue because I think owning our needs is something a lot of us struggle with. Making our needs explicit is frightening. What if we are met with a no or a how dare you? What if we make our needs known and they are completely ignored? Or worst of all, what if the person listening is actually incapable of meeting our needs? If we realize this person is incapable, it's going to force us to make some decisions. And that scares the bejesus out of us. So to avoid all of this internal drama, we convince ourselves that it's just easier to meet our own needs or find creative ways to get our needs met. We get really good at working in the shadows, manipulating people into meeting our needs. Instead of asking for help, we complain. Instead of asking for a raise based on careful consideration research, we work twice as hard hoping somebody notices Instead of asking for loving attention, we act out or we passive-aggressively seethe. Instead of asking for real connection and conversation, we indulge in surface-level gossip and pretend it's enough. And here's the crazy part. For so many of us, especially women, although I certainly see this in men too, the problem is not just that we have trouble making our needs known. It's that we aren't even sure what those needs are at this point. They've been eclipsed and blurred by the needs of our children, our parents, our spouses, our siblings, our coworkers. And here's what I know for sure. Being able to articulate and own what you need is a key component to having authentic, enduring personal power. It seems to me that the self-help movement has equated personal power with accepting radical responsibility for one's life. And I don't disagree with that. I think it's true, but there's something missing there. Authentic personal power also must include our capacity to articulate and own what we need and what we want. Authentic personal power must also include being willing to sit with, process, and accept when a need or desire cannot or will not be met. The problem is that too many of us don't do the work here because we are afraid of what we, are, we will discover about ourselves, our partners, our families, our workplaces. But amen, I say unto you, if you want to become your most powerful self and speak from your place of power, this is the work. This is the work. And as the old coaching maxim says, you can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. And I want to take you on the path I have been walking all my life, and I want you to know I have not arrived at perfection, not even close, but friend, this is terrain I am intimately familiar with, and I've made an enormous amount of progress, which makes me a mighty fine guide if you'll have me. So let's begin. 
We are going to structure this in three ways. We are going to, number one, understand the past. Number two, execute in the present. And number three, plan, or as my besties call it, dreamscape the future. That's how we're going to get into this issue of learning how to own and articulate your own needs. So let's get started. Understand the past. Number one, look, before we go any further, this work isn't easy. I'm convinced that trauma is a part of the human story. It's just really a question of severity for each of us. So if this work that we're doing here stirs up big emotions, big memories, big heartache, consider working with a therapist. My therapist, Dr. Jeb Berkeley, has been with me on this journey every step of the way, and I have zero shame in owning the fact that I work with a therapist, and I mean zero. I don't think any of us should feel shamed about needing support. Being human is hard. Earth school is hard. So consider a therapist, and if that's not available to you, look in your network of people. Is there someone at your church that you trust? Is there a friend whose opinion makes sense to you? Is there someone you trust who can be your wing person as you do this work? Don't do this alone if it creates more trauma, though, okay? Okay, so I want you to begin by answering these two questions in an effort to understand your past. Number one, how did you get your needs met when you were young? See yourself in your littleness right now. I want you to see yourself as a kid. Really breathe into it. If tears come up, right on. If rage comes up, right on. But just see yourself, that little tiny person. How did that little person get their needs met? In my case, getting my needs met was very tricky, right? I mostly just tried to meet my own needs. Or worst case, I worked to figure out how to get my own needs met without inconveniencing anyone. Which leads me to the next question. What patterns did this set up for you as a communicator, right? So look at yourself when you were little and ask, what did you have to do to get your needs met when you were little? And what patterns did this create for you as a communicator? So for me, what that dynamic set up, the are you hungry dynamic as a way of getting my own hunger met That dynamic set me up in a couple ways. Number one, I became incredibly adept at sensing and anticipating other people's needs because if I did that, I figured they'd be more likely to guess what my needs were and, you know, hence the are you hungry language. Also, rather than learn how to articulate and own my needs, I became hyper self-sufficient and over-functioning as a way to take care of myself. I just sort of accepted that my needs would rarely be met and I just have to do everything for myself by myself. Over-functioner. Sound familiar? I'm sure you probably are too. And when I got old enough, what this dynamic as a child set up for me as a future communicator was that I surrounded myself with friends who seemed to have the exact same set of needs that I had. So I got to have my needs met by default, which was awesome. This is still true to this day. My two best friends are so adept at meeting their own needs, which turn out to be exactly the same as mine, that I just bask in the spoils of their efforts. I get my needs met without even having to ask for it, right? And these patterns, as you notice, aren't all bad. There's some real benefit to having spider senses around what people need. It's part of what makes me so good as a coach, I think, and as a communicator to audiences. I kind of sense what people need and I can meet those needs. But also, 
by not asking for what I want, I don't have to make myself vulnerable. I can stay perfectly self-sustaining like my own little freaking biodome. Nobody can hurt me. I mean, being hyper-functioning is amazing because I'm just a one-woman wrecking ball of power and purpose. LOL. <laughs> As Dr. Phil used to say, how's that working out for you? But And having friends that, I, that love what I love so I don't have to deal with sifting through my own desires is amazing because I don't have to do any work. I don't have to articulate what it is I'm after. But this kind of leads to a final question. What is this communication pattern costing you? What are the downsides to this pattern? In my case, there's just one massive cost to not being able to be forthright in articulating my needs. And that cost is this. By not owning and articulating what I want and what I need, I operate at a very low level of power. My power becomes tethered to whether or not someone else is hungry. It is the power of a child versus the power of an initiated, fully formed woman. And if you've made it this far in this podcast and you're still with me and you've been answering those questions for yourself, I want you to know the few minutes we've just spent together are not easy minutes. These are tough questions. So before we kind of close out this section, I want you to practice the very necessary art of self-compassion. Because when we look into our past, you guys, some of it is beautiful and some of it is brutal. Some of it's painful. So I want you to take your right hand and put it over your heart and just breathe. Just breathe into your heart and give yourself some credit for facing down some potentially <laughs> painful memories so for, for doing some shadow boxing with yourself. And I want you to repeat this mantra in your mind as you breathe. Everyone did the best they could with what they knew, including me. And now I will do the work to move forward with loving power. So that's step one, right? We identified how did you get your needs met when you were little? What patterns did that set up for you as a communicator? And what are those patterns costing you? That kind of question, that series of question can yield massive change and improvement if you're willing to do what comes next, which is execute in the present. So understanding the way you operate is key and the way the past affected you is key, but we don't want to be consumed and stuck with what happened to us, right? We want to honor it and heal it a little more each day, but we don't want it to become like the main focus for too long because the present moment is calling and it's not a call we should send a voicemail. You know what I'm saying? So right now I want you to ask yourself right now, what do you need in this moment? Like literally, what do you need in this moment? Mm. I don't care where you are or what you're doing while you're listening to this. Just stop and ask yourself, what do I need right now? In fact, I want you to observe your mind as you ask that question. I just asked myself that question and here's what happened. You're going to love this. Ironically, I realized that I'm hungry. <laughs> it's perfect. It's rich. Part of it's because I'm always freaking hungry. I am a hungry, hungry hippo. I am like a little noshing machine. And as soon as I like realized I was hungry, there was instantly this part of me that was like, no, 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 no food till you finish this episode. No. 
So just think about that for a moment. There is still a part of us that is the grouchy, gruff, clueless grown-up trying to suppress our needs. And you know what? My little animal self is hungry. So as soon as I can recognize this dynamic, I'm like, okay, we're going to finish recording this, but we're not going to finish producing it until we've eaten. Okay? And by we, I mean me. (laughs) So I will get up from this chair and make myself lunch afterwards. And now this may sound like the most idiot cycle of thinking you've ever heard. This may sound like no big deal, like no big whoop. Like, great, you decide you're going to make a sandwich after this. Congratulations. Look, this is not a no big whoop for me. This is a very big whoop for me. Because, and it's, and, and recognizing that little pattern is in itself a big whoop for you too. Because what we just did, what you observed me just doing, is breaking a cycle. And that cycle is I suppress my hunger to keep performing. And I do it all the time. It's terrible. It's a horrible habit. And making this podcast episode is making me realize how stupid it is. That process of identifying a pattern in myself, how I talk to myself in ways that aren't kind or good, how I will deny my own needs for the sake of some productivity goal, that is metacognition. And metacognition is just a really fancy way of saying thinking about thinking, right? Here's the thing. If you ever want to change the way you show up in this world, it begins with metacognition, witnessing the way your mind habitually operates. Because in the witnessing of it, you create enough distance to change it, right? Now, am I saying that you should give in to whatever impulse your monkey mind serves up to you. Like what if instead of saying hungry, you're like, you know what I want? I want to go like shoot up in a corner in an alley. I'm not saying you should go shoot up in a corner in an alley. That is not what I'm saying. That's an impulse. An impulse is a world away from need. Answering an impulse is like putting a Band-Aid on a gushing wound. Meeting a need is a tourniquet. It's triage. It's the tending that brings true healing. Two very, very different things. So I want you to really ask yourself, like, what is it that you need right now? And notice what your mind does when you articulate it to yourself. So not only does that create that moment for metacognition, it also gives you muscle memory it sets up a new pattern, which is instead of relentlessly pushing yourself like a poor pack mule through your day, you get to stop as often as you want and say, honey, what do you need? What do you need? So if you're still with me at this point, bravo, this is such hard work, I'm telling you. But you may also be feeling a little worried, like, what if this makes me narcissistic? Will this process of like getting really good at articulating what my needs like rob me of my empathy? Will people start calling me a bitch? Will they think I'm self-centered? Listen, if you start walking all over people and using them to get your needs met and completely dismissing their needs, yes, you've over-rotated. Or as Simon Cowell once told a contestant on American Idol, you way overbaked that one, love. I know that's a terrible accent. I'm really sorry. But I don't think that's going to be your fate. I sincerely doubt your GPS would let you take it that far. You're just not that kind of person I can tell. I know you, okay? So let's not worry about that. Let's move on to step three, dreamscaping the future. 
And, you know, just take a minute. We've, un- we've taken some time to understand the past. We've taken some steps to executing better and more effectively in the present. Now let's talk about the future. Depending on what you need today in this moment, you know, whatever you have time for, you can dreamscape next week and make sure you get your needs met by calendaring them, or you can dreamscape long-term. Like sometimes what you need is to have a vision for your life, right? You need something to get up. You need your ikigai, right? That Japanese term that means reason for getting up out of bed. Do what you need. As for me, I'm carving out time on the weekends these days. Like I'll, I'll check in throughout the day to ask myself what I need, but I save the weekends to really dreamscape long-term. So right now, the need I am dreamscaping on the weekends uh, is to meet my own need for travel and adventure. I am so starved for travel and adventure. My personality so desperately needs novelty and new landscapes. And my best favorite feeling in the world is when the wheels of an airplane touch down on a piece of land I've never seen before. That is like heaven on a stick for me. So I'm in the process of dreamscaping my 50th birthday trip. I'm going to make that happen in 2024. And I'm going to plan a trip to Japan with my two best friends. And then at the tail end of that trip, I'm going to have my family meet up with me in Tokyo and we're going to go to Singapore. I know it seems like the craziest idea in the world right now, but it's in the future. So I can dreamscape. It's not till 2024. I mean, if we can't travel by then, just shoot me. But I have this, I went out and I bought this darling little pink notebook that fits inside the pocket of my bigger journal. And in it, I'm keeping track of all the little places I want to go to, like the off the beaten path places, the secret karaoke joints in Tokyo that I want to try out, the stationery stores that have all of like, there's one stationery store, you guys, in Tokyo that has five floors of paper, stickers, washi tape, writing instruments. I'm lit, my brain is literally going to explode, but I'm keeping track of all this stuff in this precious little pink notebook. And I know that it's sitting there and I can see it peeking out from my journal. And I look at it and I think, oh my God, I cannot wait for this weekend to sit down and meet my own needs for planning an adventure. (laughs) I'm also like in my little pink notebook, I'm like learning Japanese characters. I now know how to write the words big, sun, and day in Japanese. I mean, I'm I'm just having a great time with this, right? And notice like, it doesn't cost a lot of money to indulge these these deep-seated cravings that we have. Oh my God, but it delivers so much joy. So I'm telling you this example because this is a very big deal for me. This is like a major piece of advancement in, in my mind psychologically. I never really celebrated my 40th birthday or my 30th birthday or my 21st birthday My whole life, I just sort of hoped everyone around me would kind of guess what I wanted, but surprised they didn't, mostly because I didn't know what I wanted. I mean, how could they? I I never articulated a vision or a set of desires. I basically asked everyone else if they were hungry (laughs) from a birthday standpoint. But this time, I am telling everyone exactly what I want. And not from a mean like Veruca Salt vibe, but from a place of delight, adventure, I am enlisting my two best friends and my family in a vision, and they are so down for it, it makes my heart sing. 
I'm also sharing with you this because it fills me up to get my need met for travel and adventure, and it forces me to get better at enlisting the support of those around me. How might you spend some time dreamscaping? And how might you enlist support in getting your dreams made into reality? How might you grow into the powerhouse that you are? How might you create a life you can't wait to live that gets you out of bed in the morning? Because here's the thing, meeting everyone else's needs at the expense of your own doesn't make you more likable or a better mother or father or son or daughter. It makes you resentful and pissed off. Meeting your own needs actually makes you more adept at meeting the needs of others. That's the great big shocker here, I'm telling you. And that's the thing about real power, right? Authentic personal power comes from, of course, accepting radical responsibility for your life and making choices. But real personal power also depends on your capacity to articulate your needs, your vision, and realize it. And that's the thing. Even as this kind of thing strengthens us, it strengthens those around us as well. Real power is never a zero-sum game. It's always a win-win. And that's the kind of power I'm into. That's the kind of power that will transform you one choice at a time, one articulation of need at a time. You know how I know this to be true? It is my story. This is the journey I've been on my entire life. When I see my five-year-old self wandering around like a bored, little, hungry, lonely ghost, I feel so much compassion for her, but I also get a great big smile on my face because I can see a future she can't yet see. And I want to whisper to her from across the span of years, don't worry, little bee, I've got you. And we're going to make a beautiful life together. What do you need, my friend? What is your vision? What does your soul crave? Shine on you, crazy diamond. I'll see you next time. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe so you can get the latest episodes delivered hot off the press. Or if you think of someone who could really use this message, share it with them. Also, If you're looking to take this further and go further and faster on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication concept or tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am digging right now. It's just a fun little Saturday morning snippet to get you going. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at BronwynSF and LinkedIn. And if your company or organization needs a high-voltage keynote speaker who knows how to melt faces and blow minds virtually, I'm your gal. So shoot me a note and let's make some magic happen. Find me at BronwynCommunications.com and shine on. Thank you for listening.